So I want to I want to show you today um, how the medrash works, um, because as we look at Hasidus, and this is a timeline historically, um, we want to trace a trajectory that starts with the written Torah that projects onto the midrash and the oral. Okay. And what I'm doing is based on Fishbait is projecting the continue the timeline continuation of spirituality. So I want to see you may well then help me on this midrash. We're we're troping on the text. He, he just he used what he, the class that I had was the Mechel Ishmael where he's Daniel Boyarin and you know. Right. So that's that, that is looking at it from a very scholarly perspective as to how. Uh, the literary work of the Midrash is. I'm much more involved in the thematics and to what extent um, I can pl- plot a spiritual trajectory. Okay, So we're talking about something that's very strange, out of the ordinary, in chapter 31 of, of Deuteronomy. Parshas Vayelech, it's the Chamishi portion. And um, you know, it's the exhortation about Hakel, the mitzvah of bringing everyone to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And then it uh, is about the investiture of Joshua. And uh, the rabbis are very bothered by the introductory statement as to the investiture of Joshua. We all know that Moses was told that he cannot go into the land of Israel. So why the need for this statement? That's what's bothering the Midrash. Vayome Adonai El Moshe, that's verse 14 of Deuteronomy 31. Hain And the Lord said to Moses, Hain, I don't know how you translate Hain, maybe it's or Hine, behold, or Lo, or Hain your days uh, are approaching uh, to death, meaning your days are numbered. Kra et Yoshua, summon Joshua, the Hisyatsu Boel Moed, and stand by the tent of meeting, Vaatsavena, so that I can command him, uh, period. So that's the command of God to Moses. Mm-hmm. And then Moses complies. The two Midrashim that I want to focus on are on the left side of the page. Hain Korvu Yomecho, Ma. Who Lashon Hain, Mamid Barabba, Devarim Rabba, Perek Miksavyad. So it's not in the Tefus. It's not in the printed edition. It comes from the manuscripts. So it's very late, medieval. Um, as we know, Breshit Rabba, Vayikra Rabba, Shia Shirim are the earliest strata of Midrash, third and fourth century Palestine. And later on, and the first 14 chapters of, of Shemot Rabbah, later on, um, they completed the remains of Shemot, Bamidba, and Devarim, could be a medievalist, that went to the Yalkut and took from various places to make it a composite uh, printing. So the Medrash is bothered by the word hey. It could have said, and God said to Moses, Karvu yomecha lamut. Your days are numbered. What is this business of hain? Hin in Greek is yes, it's an affirmative. Hain could be hine. Omalo Moshe. 
So the way the Midrash works, as you well know, is that it inserts a dialogue in that petucha. Right before Vayomer, there's a petucha. In the scribal tradition of writing, writing the scrolls of the Torah, there is a petucha, there's an opening to the end of the line. And in that space, that physical space or the metaphorical space, the word hain comes as an affirmation to a conversation that we were not privy to in the Bible, but we are now going to be introduced to in the rabbinic imagination. Omelo Moshe, what is that, what is that particular that particular um, saying to Moshe? Right? Ribonishalolam. Lashov Doshu Raglai Arafel, for nothing my feet trampled on the uh, Arafel in the in, in the thickness of the darkness. Lashov Ratsti Lifne Bonechakasus, for nothing did I run before your children like a fared, like a horse. So that my reward now should be with worms and and maggots. What's the question? Questions. What's the question? You say for I did so much, so they should die. I did so much for you, and this is my reward. What kind of reward is that? I mean, you told me I couldn't go into Eretz Yisrael. You already told me that. Hain korvu lamus is a response to Moshe saying, wait, wait, one, one second. Let's talk reward and punishment. I, I worked for you for, for 40 years. This is the sort of retirement gift you give me in, in six feet under? Now, if that weren't enough, the Bala Midrash, the final oreach, the final editor of the Midrash, takes a second century Tana, Abahu, lived in Caesarea, in Caesarea, was a teacher of Oregon, the uh, early church father who quotes him. And Abahu says the following mashal, which is a fictional narrative intended for the audience to, shall we say, stretch the metaphor or stretch it, what I would say, to to screaming point, to boiling point. Mm -hmm. He's going to give us a a mashal that I'm going to be asking you, what does the mashal add to what we just said? We just got through saying there's a protest. We have a protest on the table. You want to retire me? Fine. You want to put me six feet under after what I did for you? Not fine. So the question is going to be, what does this mashal, this parable add to that uh, protest? To what may it be compared? I'm going to give you a story, fictional narrative, not a maase, but a mashal, of a king. <laughs> One of the great uh, courtiers of the kingdom, Shematsa Saif Hindi. He found a Hindi. Indian. An Indian sword. <laughs> he was he was he was being sent by Trump to go all over the world, and he comes to the Taj Mahal, and he finds this studded sword with jewels and gems and the pearl of India and the blue pearl, and it is the most amazing thing. He says, "I'm taking it back to the president." Right? She'ain kamoto ba'olam. There has never been such an amazing sword in the world. <laughs> And he says to himself, reminds me of Pence, This is only good enough for the king. 
So he comes back to the White House and gives the president this amazing star-studded. If you ever saw um, Victoria and Albert, the film, you'll see uh, what how that worked out. Because um, not Victoria and Albert, Victoria and um, it's an Indian name. I can't remember. Just came out anyway. Oh, just okay. a beautiful yeah. Abdul, Victoria and Abdul, mm, okay. and he's always with all his jewels and and Indian finery. Omahamelech. So the king, you expect to say, thank you very much. And the king, what does the king say? Chop his head off, like Alice in Wonderland. Off with their heads. Why? Well, it depends who the king is. Is the king like Trump? So he's measuring how a beautiful sword is, and he sees how sharp it is, and he goes, well, let's test it. <laughs> so whoever the king is, he's impetuous, he's impulsive, he's obviously adolescent, he is narcissistic, right? Of course, nothing to do with our current world. Nothing to do with our president. And he says, off with his head. Now that is the mashal. What has it added to the power of... Moses' protest. That's my question. In the mind of the Ma'arich, the Oreach, the final editor of this Dvarim Rabbah, what is he doing? He's taking these stock parables from his shelf and adding it to add what? To add drama to this moment. The moment becomes more dramatic. It becomes a Shakespearean moment of drama, of high drama, when instead of Moses just walking in and saying, was that punishment fit the crime? So we think, well, Moses, is that, are you an ingrate? We're now putting it all on the king and his character. We've switched the whole emphasis in the rabbinic imagination from a demand by the employee to the petulance of the employer. And now the nimshah comes. Afkan on Moshe Lakadosh Baruch And now the explication of that mashal is Rebbeinu Shaloyla, Master of the World. The very thing that I praised you with. That means the very sword, studded diamond sword that I gave you. The very thing I praised you with. And I said in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, Hey, you Israelites, look, this is our Lord. He's the King of Heavens. This myriad universe... And I use the expression hein bo balashon atagozer olai misa. With that very expression, you're going to use hein karbuyomechonamus. So the word hein becomes the trigger for the complaint. The mashal has said it's like a man who brings a sword as a gift, and that very sword is used to chop his head off. I bring, I praise you with the word hain, and you you kill me with the decree that begins with the very word. How cruel that is. What's changed? Abahu has changed the whole debate, and we've gone in three stages, from the first one, which is protest, punishment don't fit the crime, your, your honor, to the second, what kind of a king would kill the man with the very gift he gives him. And now we come to the linguistic. Okay, I know I have to die. I know the punishment doesn't fit the crime. 
and I'm the one that really represented you and you're going to kill me. But did you have to do it with the same word? The same aim? I think that this is an amazing midrash because nowhere here does it talk about Moses protesting in the Bible. Nothing in the chart. He does exactly what God says. By Yelef, Moshe, the Yoshua, and they stood by the Ormoed. So why would the rabbis inject into this gap uh, the protest? And they are bothered by that word hain because it's redundant. And the, as you know, this is Fishbane, uh, there are exegetical triggers that will trigger the Midrashic mind. I look at it the other way around. The rabbis were bothered theologically by how, what, a way, what a kind of way to treat Moshe, and they're going to find within the text something that will give them the opportunity, a trigger to do that. That's a different way of looking at it. Now I want to look at Midrash Zuta to Ecclesiastes. This is earlier than Tvarim Rabba, no question. It's about 7th century, depending if you, who you go with, whether it's Friedman or <coughs> Margulis, mm-hmm. which Midrash Zuta. Nusach Acher, Omar Rabbi Yeshua de Sichnen B'Shein Rabbi Levi. Again, we're quoting very early Amoroim. B'Shah She'om HaKadosh Baruch Hu Moshe, when God said to Moses, Behold, it is time for you to die. Moses was compared, and so again, it's a parable. We could have said, but in different generations, we use different expressions for the parable. He may be compared to a pregnant woman, Chavusha Bebeit Asurim. She is now serving a life sentence in jail. The sinners. She's crossed the border into America, and she's now put in detention. But she's pregnant. You know you're talking to an immigration lawyer here, right? Who's told, told that she's crazy. now pregnant. Mm-hmm. So she gives birth. Yaldasham. And the baby grows up in the detention center. The Gidlasham. And he becomes mature. He matures there. Umeisasham. And he may be dying there. He's stuck in that prison for life. Pamachas, one day, Nimsa Melech over Al Pesach Surim. The king happens to be passing the, uh, the barbed wire as he's walking along the border to show how his Trump policies are working of detention, mass detention. The Hitchil Oto Tinok Bochen. And he hears the cry of this child mm-hmm. on the other side of the barbed wire. The Omar, and the child says to the king, Adoni HaMelech, my master, O king, Khan Noladati, I was born here. Khan Godalti, here I grew up. I had no idea what my crime was. <laughs> so the king responds to him. You are here because of your mother's sin. You're here because of your mother's sin. That is the mashal. It's a, it's, a, it's a Shakespearean moment, right? It's the tragedy of any child 
having been born to someone serving a life sentence who's stuck because of that life sentence, because of the decree, and cries out for the unjustness of that detention. Like Heidegger's, we're thrown into the world and have no choice of our own to Absolutely. where we fall. Absolutely. And now the Nimshal. When God says to Moses, He says to him in response, uh, What have I done wrong? So this isn't about Hain, um, uh, unless we have to find a posse somewhere in Bereshis. And God says to him, Hain would be the chait of Adam Arishon. The Gemara talks about three people who never sinned, three rabbis who never sinned. And no, it doesn't say that. Yes, and it says, so why were they killed? They should have been spared death. They never sinned. If sin, if death is the punishment for sin, they never sinned. They shouldn't have died. So the, the so the Gemara can ends with a very mythical statement. Uh, you're right. They didn't do anything wrong. Then what? Ah, oh, it was because of the Nachosh Hakadmoni, the primordial serpent. What's that mean? Well, once upon a time there was a man and a woman, and that evil serpent impregnated the woman, and as a result, death was brought into the world. Meaning, it's not about you, Mr. Moses, or rabbis of the Talmud. It's the fact that we live in a fallen world in which we pay the price for something that occurred in a mythic time and space that was primordial, in which death is an integral part of our living here on this earth. So then, how does that differ from the first Midrash? This is my question to you. How does this Midrash, Hein Korvoyo Mecholomus, differ from the other? You would have to say that Hain means not because of you, your, your days are being coming, your days are numbered, but it's something Hain, it's something way beyond you, something built into the very nature of the universe. The second one is a much more profound mythological response to why Moses must die. Why Moses must die. And not only that, it deflects away from the king. This isn't about the king. The king says to the man, there is a law in the universe. Your mother sinned. She was given a life sentence. You were born in jail. What do you want me to do about it? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Not only that, you know, that's blaming the son for the sins of the mother. It says, B'chat'ah shel imcha. Because of the sin of your mother, so it's her punishment, because the law said she is sentenced to life, because of her sin, you happen to be born in jail, because she was pregnant when she came to jail. So you were born in jail. What do you want from me? The king says. So the Rabboni Sholem says to Moshe Rabbein, what do you want from me? 
It's Bechetar Shel Adam Arishon. Adam Arishon sinned. You're a product of Adam Arishon. And the result of his sin was death. Whether you did this for me or didn't do this for me is nothing to... We're not talking about in this Midrash. Yeah, you're, you're here for the tick of the deeper fabric of what's going on. It's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about the nature of sin. This is a response to those who say, oh, you don't believe in original sin. Yes, we do. Of course we do. Like we're, we're tainted by that. Absolutely. We sin like they did. It's a, a time is not linear, mm -hmm. it's cyclical. Right. And Although we don't have any absurd dictators that relate anything to like that. <laughs> Now, I want to tell you about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's, because after, at the end of the day, Moses is being told, you're about to die. A patient walks into my office and has a cough, and they're a long-time smoker, and I do a CAT scan of the chest, and the chest shows that they have a, a coin lesion in the left upper lobe of the lung. And they say to me, so what do we do? I say, well, you're going to have to have chemotherapy. We have to take it out. We have to do a biopsy. And then they say to me, Doc, I'm not interested in any of that. I lived a good life. I know I'm a smoker. How long do I have, Ling? How long do I have? This is what they'll tell me, especially my farmers. They don't want to deal with doctors. They don't want chemotherapy. Doc, how long do I have? And so I say, Hein korva yomechalamos. You got six months if you're lucky, right? What's their response? So Kubler-Ross was the Swiss psychiatrist who told us there are four stages in facing mortality. The first stage is denial. So the patient says, nah, I, I'm good. I'm feeling good. I got a bit of a cough. Don't worry about it. That's the denial stage. Then they start coughing up blood. That's the second stage, meaning they go into this terrible depression. The depression is, oh my God, I'm facing my death, right? The third is anger. I'm raging. Or the second is anger, and the third is depression. And the final thing is acceptance. I want to show you that in this Midrash, we have those stages. The first stage, Lashov, Doshu, Ragle, Arofel, excuse me. I'm like a fed. I've been taking care of this B'nai Yisrael forever. What kind of a business is this, right? Protest. Anger. I shall be with the maggots and the worms. What kind of reward is that? And then comes the second. That's the kind of the depression, right? What? The very thing I praised you, the that very thing you're going to goza me misa, you're going to say that It's like this horrible depression, right? And the same thing here. What did I do that you should do that? So I, I look at this in this trajectory of the pshat, telling us the facts of the case, Moses' response, no emotion. He goes straight to the oil moed with Yoshua, doesn't question, doesn't respond, no emotion. 
Then the drush, the rabbi said, it can't be. He's a human being. Someone's told, hein korvu yomecholomus. He had no response. There must be a response. Ah, that word hein. Hein is the word that triggers this whole medrash of the marshal of the king. Then we get to remes, and that's the kublaros, meaning you have the historical pshat, Mm-hmm. You have the rabbinic drush, mm-hmm. which is this idea that these characters had Shakespearean qualities to them. Don't think it's such a dry canvas. Fleshing out the fleshing out the, Exactly. Then comes the remes, meaning I am now, my job is to see this as a spiritual manual of personal discipline. What do I learn, the Moshe within me, that has to face my death every day that I look in the mirror and see that I am getting slowly older. But I thought Freud pulled that all out of thin air. No? <laughs> okay, that's called remes, right? Yeah, yeah. And then finally, the sode is, I'm going to take that, which I've taken into myself and project it onto the divine in the divine persona that's occurring. So but, Moshe isn't Moshe, Hashem isn't Hashem, one is Teferis, one is Keser, one, and that Shechina and Kotchebrichu, that intra-divine split that's occurring and resolving through this Tikkun is taking place. And I'm interested in that third trajectory that of the personal spiritual manual, since we are talking about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, mm-hmm. and the Yom Kippur, we are dressed in white, we're dressed in the Tachrichin of Yom Kippur. What does it mean? Hein Karvu Yomechalomus. And for me, you know, this is uh, something that we all face as we get older day by day, um, in which we have to somehow come to terms with um, this very notion of uh, of our own mortality. And so in what way does the rabbinic midrash help me as I integrate my own slow mortality uh, as it passes year after year, Rosh Hashanah after Rosh Hashanah? Um, how does it help me? So I want to... Um, to um, read something that I just wrote uh, that talks about this very idea uh, because I see my father who's 97 uh, and I go to him on a monthly basis and so this is the way that this Midrash allowed me to make use of the four steps of Kubler-Ross and the midrash in my own trajectory, in my own, uh, in my own uh, spiritual work, and it's called anticipatory grief. That's your term. That's the kubleros. Kubleros. Okay. Can one say kaddish in advance? <laughs> she says that. No, this is my. That's you now. I would say. After all, yitkadal the yitkadash is in the imperfect tense. No, or even the Joseph tense. Yeah, I was going to say Let's do it. Each time I leave Jerusalem, the apartment, my father, I hug his slender frame, his bones more and more prominent, wondering if this is the last time I feel him, his warmth, his stature, his upright posture. He too saw his father 
for the last time on that Viennese Bahnhof platform in 1938, not knowing he would never see him again. And now I replay this scene every time I leave Jerusalem, an epigenetic wound I carry, a return to the primal scene of trauma played out in the next generation. The pain is unbearable. The not knowing, insane. The slow decline, observable now, a loss each visit of this or that. This time a new unsteadiness on his feet and a taxi of the soul readying for its dizzying flight to come. He proudly shows me his new hobby. Having watched mum paint for years, he has now taken up the art and drawing horse after horse in various poses, his love of equus always expressed in my childhood, from dressage to that disturbing play in the West End, a psychic drama, Equus, unfolding in the psychiatrist's office of a young boy who violently enucleates a horse. Richard Dreyfus was the oh, wow. played it. With a heart as heavy as a stone oh, mountain, wow. I take my leave in the unknowing that characterizes my life more and more as uncertainty bathes me like a dark shadow in so many areas of my life. The only certainty is our mortality. Hain korvu yomecho lomus, and the slow dying of the leaves in the chill of autumn. And in that poem, I am trying to work through the trajectory as I face what this curse of Adam does to every generation and to every son facing his father's age uh, and to Moses and the Moses within each of us.